Welcome to the Light Gray Art Lab podcast. I'm Lindsay Noll. I'm Chris Heine. So this week marks the first conversation that we'll have in a series of conversations about gaming, making things in the digital universe, and about people who come together to do things in a more interactive approach. This week, we'll speak with David Washington, technical evangelist and all-around good guy, a name that might be quite familiar to you guys if you've listened to the past couple months or so? Probably almost a year now. David was the programmer and one of the key minds behind Dream Arcade. So we talked to him all about his experiences and his job, which is a very interesting job. He works for Microsoft, but it is a job unlike many jobs I've ever heard of. In fact, it's so unlike many jobs that many of you might be envious. So here we go. We're going to talk with David and he's going to tell you a little bit about himself. So I'm David Washington. I am a technical evangelism manager at Microsoft. And what we do as technical evangelists is we engage developer to developer all around the country. um, And we help people work with Microsoft technology in meaningful ways. Cool. So what is your background exactly when you get into something like that? So technical evangelist yeah. is a interesting title. Yeah, I it I've is. I've heard very many titles like that. So I don't, I, I guess, like, what is your foothold into that type sure. of position? Well, yeah, I mean, just on the thought, technical evangelism, that title at Microsoft has actually been around for, you know, over, over 10 years. And, you know, it actually, I think it started with Apple. They had like a chief evangelist, this guy, his name is actually Guy Kawasaki. Okay. And way back in the early days of Mac, he went around and talked to developers about you know building stuff. Um, so it is like kind of a whole a whole role. But the way I think about it today is we're kind of like hackers and makers, and we build um, using our technologies in the community, and we're on the bleeding edge, right? Because we're not in Redmond, we're not. Um, in you know an office building, we're embedded right. in You're the communities, entrenched in the front lines. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. we're embedded in the communities, so we have more of a pulse on what people are doing and what's important to them than anyone else at Microsoft. But we still have access to all the resources uh, that the company has to help people get going and to um, help you know help uh, bootstrap whatever it may be, whether it's a game or a or startup or uh, an app. Okay, cool. And I think we'll probably come back to that. But sure. what, what was your background? How did you get? Sure. Did you go to school for programming or did you go to school for software? I don't even know. So Yeah, I mean, we can go way back. I actually, I remember my first computer, I was, I think I was seven years old. Well, actually, I was, I was se- six years old. I had an Amiga um, okay. 500 yeah. computer and it was I only used it for games I played this game Shadow of the Beast oh that sounds like awesome. I don't know that game it was like the awesome. best game Super, <laughs> it terrified me you know as a seven-year-old and um other you know just just played games on it and then it ended up bre- breaking and I got a DOS PC it was actually a Sanyo PC that my neighbor was throwing out that he used for his taxes yeah and I just played with that and um my whole goal was to just figure out how to play games on it. So that's where, you know, that's my whole motivation for learning about computers and technology. And I remember I, the first game I got working on that was Wishbringer, which was like a text-based adventure. And is this, is this one where you 
have to code the games by yourself? Like, no, no, no. This get was a magazine. Just... Do you remember those ones where you'd get a magazine and you'd have to just like enter the code yeah. yourself? And... Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I didn't. I didn't do any of those back when. I. I it was the early days of like bulletin board services. So okay. yeah. I got my modem connected to the BBS. Oh wow! And okay. I would like download games, and I had a few floppies that I got from garage sales and stuff like that. Um, but that's like where my motivation for technology and learning about technology came from was just trying to get my game system to work. Like all my friends had Nintendos, but like we didn't have any money. So I just had this old like tax machine. So I had to like figure out how to get that to play games and then, um, you know, upgrading it, you know, kind of learn, you know, taught me how to, you know, more about the system and more about, you know, what's out there. And then, you know, I kind of was, have been in front of a computer, since then, um, so when I went to college, uh, I just opted for computer engineering, and I did a little bit of programming in high school, and it was interesting to me. Um, and then in college, um, I just kind of went. I dived in, you know, with the engineering degree, and I started working um, at Intel actually after my freshman year, doing a lot of just programming um, for their um, really boring stuff, but how they. Um, process data from their tools that create the chips the cpus okay so i wrote a bunch of systems that would process that data Hmm. and that really got me interested in programming but i didn't want to do that as a career i wanted to build things that my friends and mom and family would would know and use right so they probably um, aren't going to look at benchmark software or something yeah (laughs) exactly so, um, right out of college, right in college, actually, I started doing internships at Microsoft. So it was about, uh, 13 years ago okay. and, um, you know, started working on some, um, you know, again, business software, but then I moved into windows, which is something that, you know, ev- almost everyone on the planet, you know, uses at some point in their life. Right. And, um, and that was interesting. So, yeah. Uh, pretty traditional engineering background at Wisconsin, but most of my experience just came through working um, at Intel or working at uh, Microsoft. So going from that, you know, you have your engineering degree Mm -hmm. and you started, like, where did you start at Microsoft? Did you start right on the technical evangelist? No, I started as a developer. So I was a developer um, working on a product called Microsoft CRM. It's what like sales forces use to track activities and engagements and follow-ups with their leads and stuff. And it was a pretty, it was the first version of that product at the time. And it was exciting because it was kind of a startup atmosphere. Um, it's funny, the, the manager of, of that team, Microsoft Business Solutions, is actually the CEO of Microsoft now. Oh, really? So as an intern, I got <laughs> to like do a lunch with him, uh, Satya uh, Nadella is his name, um, I got to do a lunch with him, which was fun, but I, I learned very quickly that I didn't want to work on business software. I want to work on stuff that, you know, I could point at. And, um, you know, part of that is, you know, working on something like windows that has more of a consumer focus, but also I got really into user experience. So, you know, in the computer world, that's, you know, what, what is the, what does it look like when people are interacting with and, and how do they how do they consume and copy their files and stuff like that? Um, so I went, I moved to the, what we called the windows shell team, um, in windows and worked on a lot of 
Windows Explorer um, and Windows like file copy features. Um, I transitioned to a role that was called a program manager, which is more not a not a designer. It's not an artist, but we define the kind of vision for the product and then define the functional specification for what it is. Like this is the features it's going to have, and we work with the developers um, to actually get it implemented. So um, that was you know a really exciting role for me because. You know, I I like to be able to set the direction for what we were building in Windows, and that was fun. Right, and then now you you kind of do that a lot because you don't necessarily set the direction, but you work with a lot of different people exactly to create projects. And so let's talk a little bit about how that works. Yeah, because it's almost hard to imagine. Because for instance, we started working with you when we did a talk at Coco. Yeah, and you came up and said, "Hey." do you guys want to make a game? And we're like, <laughs> you know, we sort of th- talked about what that actually would mean and things like that. So, um, so it's not always games that you're doing, but you're, you're working with different creatives and different mm-hmm. programmers and different, mm-hmm. all sorts of different people. And you're just working with them. Um, I guess to what end? Yeah. So, um, we, it's interesting. We are really excited when people can use our technology and be successful. So, um, and in my opinion, the, the most exciting times are people who thought that they never would use our six, use our technology at all. Um, you know, in your case, you know, you guys are artists, so you, you know, the tools are just tools, right? Right. Whereas, you know, developers are a lot more intertwined with technology. So they know, oh, there's this API or, you know, no JS this or this programming <laughs> language that I need to plug into. Yeah. Um, so they have a lot more opinions and visceral, you know, you know, affiliations with, you know, why Microsoft or not Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, in your case, I thought it was really interesting because you guys are essentially, you essentially have that maker hacker mindset where you're always creating and working with artists to create products or create a, an opening. So the things that really piqued my interest were the paper doll show for Halloween. Yeah, the, was, the Night of the Exquisite Corpse. Yeah, exactly. That was really cool because, you know, you guys pulled together all these different artists and pulled together the art for that to create one experience and actually had to work through the technical challenges of printing those things and actually make them look good, right? And from my perspective, that's essentially what goes into any you know, engineering project, right? You have to come up with a create a great idea and then, you know, pull together the right people and the right content and then, you know, follow through to the end to build it. So, um, you know, that's why I was like, wow, you know, you guys are essentially doing everything that you need to do to build a game or to build something like a game. Um, you know, I could work with you on the technical side to actually do, you know, some programming or, you know, work. I, at the time, I was like, maybe I'll find somebody else to do the programming <laughs> um, and, you know, and build something. So, um, and at the time, you know, I, I was an engineer at, at Microsoft. And now, uh, you know, as, as a technical evangelist, I, you know, was looking for more places to apply that user experience, you know, design that user experience thing. And games are very similar to user experience because, um, you know, people have very high expectations for how they interact with objects and, right. and, 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 and systems. And with a game, it's like the bar is so much higher because it's not something you have to do. It's something that you're doing for fun. Mm-hmm. So, 
you know, games have the best kind of um, touch interactions. They have the best uh, frame rate. They have the best graphics. So I, I, um, when I got into this role, I really went back to doing more with games. Um, and so when I, I was going through that process is when I, was when I found you guys. And this was a good kind of test bed for me to work with you guys. And you've worked with a lot of people, though. Like, what's it like to ideate with all sorts of different people? Do, do, do you kind of fill in whatever role needs to be filled? Because obviously a lot of people aren't as art heavy as we are or, yeah. you know, how, how does your relationship in our, in our case, we kind of created the art content and yep. you did a lot of the programming and you helped us, you know, find an engine to use and all that kind of stuff. And, and basically sat down and taught me what I needed to do to be able to, to put this game out the door. But, um, in other cases, like how do you ideate with creatives and, and kind of do you approach them with specific ideas or do you kind of look at what they're doing and, and figure out how, you know, you can help them do that better or yeah. how does that work? It's funny. Most people I talk to are in one of two categories. One, they already have something built or they're already on the path to something and they don't really know what that looks like and what it feels like to um, to actually complete it or sell it or or release it or turn it into a business. So I spend a lot of time with developers as a coach, right? Like, Hey, this is what it looks like to go from this idea that you have and into a product or into a solution. And a lot of times, you know, when you're working with developers, technology is the best, you know, code is the best communication tool. So Mm -hmm. like, Hey, here's an example set of code that you can just use that will take you from this idea or from this sample to something that is running on a website with multiple users connecting at the same time and doesn't crash and stuff like that. And so a lot of times it's like coaching, like, okay, here's the next thing you need to do. Like, let's check in and like, okay, you don't have to do all these ideas. You know, you can actually cut these for your first version. Um, So, you know, with the people who already have an idea, it's about coaching them to completion and then um, there's also people who don't know where to get started, right? They have a big idea mm-hmm. or they're very interested in technology or they may have some technology experience, but they don't know where to go. And um, so that's where I can I come usually with an idea like, hey, what about this? And some technology like you could take this idea with these technology things to do the type of things that you're talking about doing. And um, you guys were in a little bit different of a boat where you didn't know you didn't necessarily, I mean, I, actually from hearing what you said, you were interested in making a game. I didn't know that, but, um, you know, it was like, it looked to me like you were a game developers essentially, but you just didn't know it yet. Right. So I just wanted to like, you know, I was like, Hey, you know, here's an opportunity and you know, here's what a game could look like using the skills that you guys have. And here's the technology that can go with it. And I, and I tried to just be the glue there. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. I think that kind of what you do and what we do is very similar in that we're like, our shows are not like always going to be a video game show. Yeah. They're not always going to be a paper craft show. We kind of like look around and see what we have available to us yeah. and what we can make out of that. And what's the coolest thing we can make out of the things that we have at that time. So I think it was just kind of serendipitous that, 
you know, we found each other when we did. I yeah. think, I don't know what we were showing at that time, but at that time, I think we were on the verge of making great personalities. Yes, so we had already exactly. dipped our toes into video games. And that's another one of those things where we just, we found the software that in, in that case we were using RenP and we just found what, what would help us execute our vision the best that we could possibly do it. And, yep. you know, and we couldn't make a, platformer in RenP ever because that would be impossible as far as I know but Mm -hmm. so when you know when this idea came up we had already had ideas about making video game shows making pixel art shows but we were kind of needed that something to take it above just kind of like a pixel art show and then Mm -hmm. you know this was just like the perfect match because we're like if it was an actual video game that would be the best possible thing you could ever do (laughs) you know like what's what's really interesting is like you know now we're in your gallery but when you're here you experience all of the art from the different artists at the same time so that is really you know that's part of the experience and i don't know like when you build when you use a game when you play a game or when you build a game obviously there's different artists that are feeding into that but um usually those people are on a team so they're expected to build you know, a certain type of asset, you know, and they're, you know, they're told essentially what, right. to, what like to a, build. Like an art style or, or a vision is set and everyone works t- to that vision. Exactly. Um, what I love about Dream Arcade is, you know, you, you know, like Ray Art Lab set the parameters for what type of art each of the artists will build, but each artist essentially got to define the feel for their level so when you play the game, it's almost like you're in the gallery and you experience all those different artists at the same time. And how was that? I mean, is it, did you feel any pressure or anything like that when you were thinking about how to put this game together where that didn't have, you know, like in Mario, you are Mario from start to finish. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like the levels change, but a lot of assets are recycled. And in this one, there was very few recycled assets. Yeah. Um, you know, was that something that, was a fun challenge or was it just easy peasy or yeah it was a good challenge it's funny um when we started this i had a vision of something a lot simpler right like something that was essentially purely an art exhibition right Mm -hmm. even the exact same level over and over again right with different art assets like almost like mario 1-1 yeah again and again but exactly you know different versions yeah exactly and the more that we work together, I realized that, you know, you guys had a vision for the game, you know, that you built in on your own. And I didn't want to get in the way of that, right? I never wanted to be the reason why the game couldn't be the vision that you guys wanted it to be. So um, even though some things were tricky or I, I, you could probably tell I was nervous, like, oh, I don't know if this is going to be fast or not. Or wow. I don't know how to build that thing that you're asking me for. Um but I just took it as a challenge. I mean, that's kind of the engineering mindset that like, you know, somebody wants to do something, it's just code. You kind of just figure out how to do it. And, um, so that was, you know, part of the fun of the challenge and, you know, as much code that I wrote and I had to, to customize for the, for the, for the game. Um, it was so small in comparison to all of the work that the artists did for each of the levels and that you guys did designing the, the the level layouts and pulling everything together. So I just wanted to do my part, you know? Yeah. We would have a meeting and then you would go away and then magically the game would change in some way. And then from an artist perspective, the programming side is always like black magic. Where yeah. Like, I don't know how this happened, <laughs> but now everything works differently. And, and, but I think that was really helpful. And I think we put a lot of thought in 
how we can communicate what needs to happen to the artists. Mm -hmm. For instance, you made that sprite test page where people who didn't know how to animate could take the assets we give them, draw it, and test it before putting it in the game and see, you know, if their animations looked great or if they needed work um, and stuff like that. So I think it was a lot of fun to just kind of work through that. And it's something that we could have never done on our own because yeah. we just don't have the, I wouldn't even know where to start. And I guess that's what you're saying. Some people just don't know where to start and, yeah. and you help them with that. So, yeah, what's really interesting about, um, I mean, my whole mindset and building, even when I was on windows, which is like at the, you know, at the time I was there, it was one of the slowest engineering processes probably out there. You know, they've done a lot, um, to reinvent that and to be faster and do agile development. But my whole mentality has been to, to, build like to just build the thing you're trying to deliver right like a prototype of it so you at least know that it's good before you actually go ship it yeah so you know at windows even as a as a program manager and as a lead of program managers i was always hacking and prototyping touch interactions because you know those are things that you never really know how those are going to be until you feel them and use them so I would put together a prototype with like a million different knobs that you could tweak to see how it was going to look and feel. And then as a team, we could decide like, oh, this is what we're trying to do. Um, And the same, you know, I just use my same kind of approach for the game. It's like, okay, let's hack together the prototype for what type of game we're trying to build. And then once you play that, you're like, well, actually it's missing this, it's missing this, it's missing this. And then, you know, just kind of building and learning as you build is far more effective than trying to plan. Like I can imagine if we started by, okay, we're going to have 30 levels and they're going to, there's going to be an underwater level and there's going to be this. Yeah. It'd be so big. You know, we, we wouldn't even know what the game was going to be like until it was done. Whereas, you know, even though the game, when it was done was kind of like, wow, that's awesome. There weren't really any surprises because we knew we had learned all the different aspects of the game as we were building it. Yeah. And we we did have a vertical slice of that demo level that we built, which yeah. I believe we stayed up all night to get that yeah. call for art. But exactly, <laughs> we had a few of those. But um, yeah, but even going from that one to the final game, there was a lot of additional features and yeah. polish and all these things that were being added to the last minute. I know, like you would come with ideas and and you would say it would be really cool if we could do this, and then it would be up to us to figure out if that was possible and stuff like that. So it yep. was a really back and forth. So it was a really good experience so i guess i was curious in my initial question a while ago if you if that's how it works in a lot of cases are you more hands-off in a lot of your projects yeah i mean it's interesting so now i'm the manager of the evangelists that are around the central u.s kind of Mm -hmm. what you think of as the central time zone okay so there's i've got a few people in chicago and in dallas and austin and houston and st louis and columbus ohio and detroit so that's where that's where my team is um so each one of those people has a technical specialty. Uh, three of them are really into game game development. Uh, other folks are really into startups, um, and that's you know, and they're they're kind of into technologies that relate to startups, like open source technology. And other folks are um, more into um, like app development uh, and web web development. So um, in their communities, they. Um, will do a lot to create kind of a center of gravity. So they'll create something big and then people will be interested in, in that, what they built. 
and then they can present it and um, share how to go recreate that in um, in like a workshop or a hackathon. Um, but also there's a lot that we do where we work with um, organizations to like co-sponsor a hackathon or co-sponsor an event and then we'll teach people at the event how to build something mm-hmm. and then we'll give prizes to people who build the best one of those things. So a lot of what we do is at scale with a lot of people, but um, you know, kind of what's a big part of the job is also working with specific developers or in your case, artists who have an idea that has promise and then, you know, work with them, you know, usually on like a weekly or biweekly cadence to help them get to that journey. And then at the end, then we've learned so much more about that topic, you know? Right. So, so in that case, you're seeing, and I guess I was going to ask you, you're an engineer and and you must love technology. So in this case, do you get to see a lot of really cool things just constantly in front of you? And because you're always kind of in this community that is at the bleeding edge. Exactly. And a lot of time, I mean, just to go back to your question of like, do, are you usually as hands on? Usually we're embedded with the community and we're kind of seeing what people will do. And then we'll take a step back and we'll say, okay, let me build something that's in that same vein on my own mm-hmm. and then share how I got to that online and, you know, it, with video podcasts. And we have a, something called Microsoft Virtual Academy where it's kind of like plural site training where people can learn how to do something. Right. So we'll take that experience, create something on our own and share how to do it. Um, in this case, it was kind of, it worked well because, um, you know, I got to build with you guys, you know, you guys did the art, but I got to build, you know, the code, the code part of it. And I could take that learning and, and bring, bring it to different audiences and say, Hey, you know, if you want to build a game, if, even if you're not an artist, here's what your step-by-step is, or other artists, if you want to build a game, here's, you know, things that you can do to, to, to apply there. So, um, you know, in, in general, we're not usually as hands-on over a year like we were, but, um, but we do, you know, we do work with the, the creators, with the makers. And um, I don't think it's, you know, it's definitely not out of bounds for, for us to, to work with folks like, like we did. Hmm. And then do you, you do a lot of times just kind of give people the thing that they need? Or do you, do you spend a lot of your time kind of, like you had mentioned, you were going to f- maybe find a programmer for us, but then you just ended up taking on that yeah. burden or joy, whatever it is, but yeah. do you, do you kind of play matchmaker a lot where you're saying you're, you're making a game, you don't know how to do the back end. Here's somebody who does the back end and mm-hmm. or things like that. Or is it just kind of, are people kind of siloed off in their thing and they're making what they're going to make and then you kind of step in and help them? Yes. Yeah, sometimes we'll do matchmaker. That's like, you know, a small, a small, small aspect. A lot of times, uh, sometimes we'll, we'll play the matchmaker. Um, but a lot of times there's already a team or there's someone who's working and we'll coach them or work with them directly. What was so compelling about this is there's, there's no other artists like as a team. I don't think there's anyone else on the team who has worked with an artist as much as, as, as we did on dream arcade. So, um, that's what made it so interesting. Like, Hey, let's see where this goes. Like, Maybe, you know, Microsoft, we talk to artists when it comes to like, hey, you know, maybe you should have Windows on your PC and use Photoshop on Windows. Or something. <laughs> but we don't really necessarily have a conversation with artists, right. um, especially as developers. We don't talk to artists. So this was when you look at all of the people making things, right? There's 
there's developers who are making apps and making websites, and then there's um, designers who are you know creating assets for those websites. But you guys were special because you're creating end-to-end things without any developers, right? So it's like, oh, in a sense, there's no reason why you shouldn't be creators of technology. Um, so that's what I mean. That's what made it so compelling is just to just to just to explore that story of of artists building a game, you know, and hmm. how that's so much different than a technologist leading the story. So with a project like that, or any projects, are you much more fulfilled in this role because you get these, you get basically like a tapestry of all these things you can point to and be like, I did this and I did this and I helped, you know, you helped facilitate so many things. They might not be your projects per se, but mm-hmm. um, is that kind of what you were looking for when you were talking about before you you wanted to make things that you could point to? Yeah, definitely. I think the technical evangelist job is awesome because especially now our job is to build cool stuff that people are interested in. And, you know, the way I encourage my team to think about it is build what you're interested in. And if you're really building what you're passionate about, that will be interesting to your developer communities. So I was talking uh, to you earlier about Natalie on my team, who's really interested in virtual reality. Hmm. So she was able to get a couple Oculus devices and she's actually, you know, learned how to create virtual reality games and then now she's at CodeMash in Ohio uh, teaching a whole group of other people how to build virtual reality into their games. She started by just becoming an expert in that technology. And then she's in, immersed herself with other virtual reality developers so she could learn more stories about what works and what doesn't work. And then she's actually gone and taught more people how, how, to, how to go do it themselves. And having... You know, as a developer, as someone who's building something there, then you just come with credibility. People want to listen to you, and it becomes a more, much more interesting conversation than, "Hey, here's some te- Microsoft technology. Do you want to try it?" So, yeah, and I think that I mean, I think that is really cool. It's just sort of an interesting position because you really are just like out there making things happen, mm-hmm. and it from an outsider's perspective, I'm. It's almost like what are you getting out of yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like what do you get out of it besides, you know, the fulfillment of making things happen. So it's kind of like a, it sounds like a really amazing position. Yeah. What's really interesting about Microsoft is, you know, we build a number of things. Like we build devices that we sell, like the surface, we build operating systems like windows that's mm-hmm. on those devices. We build developer tools that people use to build apps. We build cloud, like we have data centers that that host websites and then all sorts of things in between that help make it easier to build those things. And from a developer's perspective, someone who's really loves technology, then sometimes the technology is like the me is like the end, right? Like I want to just play with these different train sets. Yeah. Right. And that's why sometimes it's really hard for us to have a conversation about like, well, why do you love, you know, AWS versus Azure, or why do you like to use JavaScript versus, you know, PHP on your server? Or like, and like, you know, there's a lot of nuances and discussions that you can have about that. But in the end, the technology is, you know, very, it's inert, right? It doesn't have any meaning, right? What you create with it is valuable. Mm-hmm. So from your perspective, um, you know, you guys were able to make an awesome game, and it didn't really matter what technology got you to that got you to that point. But from Microsoft's perspective, it's an awesome proof test to, hey, you can build, uh, you know, 
fully, you know, fully featured game on the Windows platform in HTML that also runs on the browser and it runs at 60 frames per second and it's great, right? So um, from the technology perspective, it's a great story. Um, but from the game perspective, it's also a great story and those things can happen, um, at the same time, um, without, you know, without really worrying about, you know, what the technology is or what the game is. What's the coolest thing you've seen lately? Anything particular? The coolest thing that I've seen lately. I mean, the VR stuff sounds really cool that, that you said Natalie was working on. I've yet to get my hands on a oculus rift but i really want to play around with yeah vr is really one of those things that you know it's not quite there yet but you know it's like to- a lot closer than it was yeah today <laughs> you know we we were immersed in a lot of technology like touch screens and mobile devices and you know like fancy cars and bluetooth and all this stuff so it's hard to impress like oh apple iwatch or wearable thing like sure it's just another screen right mm-hmm. whereas vr when you put that headset on and you forget that you're using a computer and you're just like, like, it was funny. I was at a hackathon at UT Austin and I put on the Oculus headset and I was exploring some space station and I just started walking around and I ran, <laughs> I ran into somebody's face. Like I just ran right into him yeah. because I just, you know, thought that I was in on the space station and I could walk over there. So it's just one of those things that, you know, it, the technology is still coming along. But it's a really big thing. The other thing, we talked about this a, f- a few weeks ago at uh, Spy House, but, you know, there's this whole Internet of Things, you know, conversation, which is totally a buzzword now. But I love the idea of just bringing technology to things that that haven't, that you haven't really thought about mashing up with technology yet. Um, at CES, um, someone just, uh, a, it was Parrot just announced a flower pot that like has an app and you okay. like it waters itself <laughs> oh, really? and okay. it does you know and like you can track the acidity levels of the soil from your phone and stuff like that and it's it's just really interesting to see where that's going to go and less about i'm less interested in the companies that are building that stuff more like what you know people who haven't really even thought of doing something with technology or doing something with you know the analog world come up with um, there's somebody, Paul on my team built this really cool connect controller where he can control his old school Nintendo with like gestures and stuff like that. Huh. So, I mean, that's, I mean, there's just all these crazy things that you see come out of it. Uh, Stacy, uh, somebody in, uh, New York who's on our team built a dinosaur with a sensor in its, a dinosaur puppet with a sensor in its head. So when you open its mouth, it drops the bass like in a in a <laughs> in a Skrillex song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So NG calls it T Skrillex. That's funny. Like a, for like a dubstep dubstep dino. <laughs> um, I mean, and that's just silly stuff. But you know, there's really no end to like the stuff that we're going to see out of that. And it's yeah. interesting, not because like oh, there's this Arduino or this chip that's in there. It's like oh, that's just cool that you can you know make this new scenario happen that was never possible. And it's before. it's interesting to see sort of like the culmination of that. For instance, we were talking about earlier in the '90s. You thought virtual reality was like two minutes away. Yeah, you're exactly. Just like watching Lawnmower Man, and you're like, man, in three years when everyone's <laughs> got those sweet headsets and like gyroscopic bed things, or yeah, whatever, exactly. then, then everyone's going to be doing it. But and it manifests itself in like more nuanced ways than you know people expect for instance one thing that i think is always funny is a few years ago like voice technology and controlling things with your voice was so foreign yeah 
and it becomes so um, integrated so fast. We have an Xbox One and a PlayStation 4. Yeah. And we do most of our media stuff on the Xbox One. And Lindsay, who isn't even sure, like, which one's on, she's just like, oh, we're watching a movie. It must, you know, it's on a system or whatever. That whenever we're watching on PS4, she will say, Xbox, pause. <laughs> and then it, the TV doesn't do anything. And yeah. the fact that it doesn't is always, like, really jarring for yeah, her. Yeah. Where she's like, I can't stop this movie with my voice. What, yeah what's going on here and yeah and so like when voice technology i think came out originally you know a lot of times it emerges on like weird game fronts because they're yep. kind of at the cutting edge and you're you know you're commanding armies and it didn't quite work and and i think maybe for a minute you thought that that technology wasn't going anywhere but now everyone's talking to siri and everyone's talking yep. to their xbox and it actually did become something where it didn't come up play out quite like you maybe imagined you know it didn't play out like the skrillex t-rex yeah. the first thing but maybe that will be something that you don't even know what it is yet until somebody in a different market or different industry gets their hands on it so it's pretty cool to always see that bleeding edge tech and, and wonder where it's gonna head it's really interesting with with games or products when something is incomplete you know like you know that it's not it's like a science project it's not a real thing right like mm-hmm. if you play a game and and it's it's like too slow or the story isn't there or um, the there isn't the game mechanic that's interesting, then it's incomplete. Or with voice recognition, if it didn't work 5% of the time, you lose the magic, right? Mm-hmm. It's when that last 5% starts working, then you're like, wow, like I don't even have to think about this thing anymore. It becomes as natural as drinking water or walking down the street. Right, you know? like touch technology. Exactly. Now all my nieces and nephews, I think they'll probably never pick up a game controller in their <laughs> life because they're just playing iPhones and, and touch technology all well, the time. Well, and that's what's amazing. I think that's why it's so, why kids gravitate towards it is it is natural. Like you play with it and you can explore and learn how to play a game or how to scroll through a, a list of photos just by touching it and playing rather than having to read a manual or have someone show you. Mm-hmm. And technology that's, you know, that natural that kids can figure it out is is like the type that will stick, that will stick around. Yeah, and you mentioned you were working on touch interfaces and knobs and all sorts of stuff before. What are you what are you kind of working on right now? Like what's upcoming? Yeah, so now since I'm the manager of these folks on my team, I've been working with some of the big events that are coming up in Chicago we're uh, doing a, a, some events around a, a Microsoft accelerator, startup accelerator that is going to start um, up here pretty soon. So um, that's you know top of mind is how do we bring startups together in Chicago? And um, right now, actually, there's an event in Ohio called CodeMash, you know, and it's a really big technology conference that um, spans open source, Microsoft, com- not Microsoft stuff. And um, everyone comes together and it's, you know, thousands of people in Sandusky, Ohio. Um, It's kind of funny. So I have a bunch of people from my team who are there right now talking about virtual reality and talking about building Christmas lights that connect to the Internet and, um, you know, how to build your first game, um, stuff like that. And then uh, what's coming up next is uh, uh, PAX, actually, you know, on the whole game front uh, in Austin or not in Austin, but in um texas we're yeah. doing uh pack south yeah um is the first it's the first pack south so since texas is we i've got a few people in texas we're we're hosting a booth um where we're bringing local game developers from austin and dallas 
to that booth to essentially have their first chance to show off their game at oh, a that's PAX. Awesome. Um, so, you know, what the idea is, if we had a Microsoft booth, it really wouldn't be that interesting. Mm-hmm. But uh, we have a booth where there's game developers who get their chance to put their game out there and get, you know, some recognition at the big stage. Um, and they are using our technology, so that's a good story for us. But it's really their opportunity to get known and, and be seen. So yeah, PAX awesome. is big, and then South by Southwest is coming up. We're planning some oh, activities around that. Too. that. Yep. That's amazing. Oh, cool. So so you're doing, like, tons of events then? Yeah, mostly. I mean, that's, you know, for me, it's a lot of big events. Um, but also the people on my team, each person on my team is building you know, really interesting hacks, right? I talked about Natalie doing stuff with virtual reality. There is this guy, Brian, who's, who's building, you know, these uh, Christmas lights that, you know, connect to the internet. And it's interesting just to see where these go. This guy, Paul, who built the gesture controlled Super Nintendo is working on a really interesting network of temperature sensors that, so like all around the the country, we're all going to, create this little device that we'll put outside and then we can see the the instantaneous real-time temperature outside and process that like into, how it moves across the country or yeah exactly oh, as a as a kind of like you know distributed real-time weather station and do some data processing and do predictive weather forecasting all you know without necessarily being a you know a weather expert so sounds like a plot to a movie where you're gonna, yeah you're gonna like predict some like disastrous end of the world thing and no yeah. one's gonna believe you because you have this like hacked together network exactly i mean that's we talked about technology and um one thing that we I, I was just talking about with a few people on my team before um i walked here was machine learning is like another thing that's really crazy because it's essentially predicting the future with past data mm-hmm. and there was a time when machine learning itself was something in itself you had to in order to use machine learning you had to be an expert in in how to create a machine learning system Mm -hmm. we're kind of getting to this point where more people who don't know anything about how machine learning works can go build cool stuff so we had this idea where we could potentially predict the success of a startup based on indicators um uh you know about like how much seed funding did they get how many women board members do they have you know what you know what where did they get their funding from where where do they live so um that's an interesting set of explorations that we're working on yeah Um, weird yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome so where can people find you i it's funny i did a lot of blogging um but now as a manager, I don't have as much time to, to write. But I'm on Twitter as DW Cares. So that's probably the best place to find me and reach out and ask me a question or throw a crazy idea at me. I'm pretty much open for anything. So if people have a good idea, I'd love to help make it happen. Cool. So you're a manager now, but you're still also working kind of as the technical evangelist. <laughs> yeah, evangelist. Yeah. Te- technical evangelist. Yeah. Cool. Well, it was awesome to talk to you. And again, everyone here is familiar with your work on Dream Arcade. And yeah, I, I encourage everyone to go and check out more. When are you going to make your level for Dream Arcade? Um, hopefully soon. Okay. <laughs> I'm still planning on it. Awesome. I have actually one question, one more question for you. If you could build another game like Dream Arcade, what type of game would it be? Would it be another platformer? Would it be 3D? I don't know if I would do 3D because that, I mean, that's a whole different skill set. Yep. And I think we could find 3D artists, I'm sure. But um, I would love to make an RPG. Yeah. I don't know. 
would be cool. I mean, there's so much work that it's daunting to think about which one you want to yeah. dip, dip your toes into, but an RPG would be awesome. It's So I guess maybe that's what I would say. All right. Well, thanks, David. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And thanks for letting me participate with Dream Arcade. Thanks for listening to David Washington's interview. We've had a great time talking with him. And I, as always, um, he's full of project ideas. He loves to collaborate. I'm sure there's plenty of ways that uh, we can make sure that you can get a hold of him if you're interested in some of the stuff that he's up to. Uh, In fact... If you would like, just go and check out the podcast notes. We'll make sure to put his Twitter link on there so you can say hi to him. I believe it's at DWCares. We've also had the opportunity, by the way, in the last week to announce all of the awesome artist participants for the upcoming March show, Boss Rush. So if you followed along last week or two, we've got this show that's coming up in March that's part of not only an awesome show here at Light Gray Art Lab, but also a juried show that will be uh, showing up at GlitchCon, which is a local gaming convention here in the Twin Cities. Um, We're actually awarding some uh, fantastic awards to Best of Show for some of the people involved, but we have nearly 100 people that are going to be participating in a show that's all about the bad guys, from console games to... PC games to, <laughs> to MMO <all> games. <laughs> RPGs to all games in the universe. So many bad guys will be represented there. So hopefully you guys will get a chance to check that out and we'll make sure that you that we keep you posted on all of the details for that coming up. Yeah, and you can see the announcement and everything else at blog at likerayartlab.com. Also, speaking of blog.likerayartlab.com, you're going to notice in the next maybe couple days we're gonna give you a new schedule both there and on the Facebook page, of all of the upcoming game nights that are going to be happening. We're actually switching the days to Thursday evenings. It's going to be every two weeks, uh, but we'll make sure to give you some real dates and some topics for some of the things coming up. And Chris, I know that's your territory, so I'm sure you'll have plenty of information and and witty things to put on Facebook posts for people. And (laughs) if they want to find our Facebook, where do they do that? Uh, facebook.com slash like great art lab i believe and you can give us a like there and stay up to date and see whenever we post a new game night or show or call for art or anything else you can also follow us on tumblr where like great art gallery.tumblr.com you can follow us on twitter we're at like great art lab and you can subscribe to the show on the itunes music store or stream it directly on stitcher radio thanks again for listening you guys and we'll talk with you soon And this week, we're talking with David Washington, creative evangelist. Uh, I believe it's... <laughs> <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Tec- technological. Genius. Fantastic individual. Doesn't matter what David's title is, really, because he'll tell you in just a moment. David's been working in the field probably since, what did he say, when he got his computer? When he was seven? <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha.